So then we can start with the talk. We begin with the Namotasa. Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa So tonight I'm going to talk about something that is not so often talked about. But for me it's like a hidden treasure. It's about gratitude. And I want to start this talk with a true story that touched me a lot when I heard it. It was Sayado Uindaka who told this story. And, you know, I have already told you this story in one of the metta meditation sessions. You might remember the story of the Japanese soldier. Or maybe you just had a little sleepy face and you missed it. So here it is again. <clears throat> so it's such a nice story, you know, it cannot hurt to hear it again. So this happened during the Second World War and it happened in Burma. At that time Burma uh, was under British rule and England fought against the Japanese <coughs> and so there were um, English soldiers, Japanese soldiers fighting against each other in Burma. And in one attack, um, when the Japanese soldiers were attacked by the English army, a Japanese soldier was able to escape, to run away, <coughs> and so he ran for his life. He was in the countryside, and as he was running for his life, then he came across a house. And the family were around the house doing their work. They were farmers. And when they saw this Japanese soldier running as fast as he could, they immediately understood what was happening. And so they grabbed the Japanese soldier and put him into a huge earthen pot. These huge earthen pots were used and are still used in Burma to store rice or other things. So they put him in this huge earthen pot and covered it. And shortly after that, Japanese, sorry, English uh, soldiers came <coughs> running and they asked the family if they had seen a Japanese soldier. And the family said, no. The English soldier looked around a little bit, but as they didn't find anything 
suspicious, they didn't find the Japanese soldier, so then they went off, they went their way. And once the air was clear, there was no longer any danger, the Burmese family uh, got the Japanese soldier out of this huge earthen pot. And first of all, they gave him just ordinary clothes so that he could take off the uniform, gave him a longi, a shirt. They also gave him food to drink and so that Japanese soldier could stay with the Burmese family. And they offered him all their hospitality. And then after some time, when it was safe for the Japanese soldier to leave, he left, joined his Japanese troops, and eventually then went back to Japan. And after the war, this Japanese soldier came back to Burma, went back to this Burmese family who saved him his life. And each year he came with lots of presents for this Burmese family, just as an expression of his deep, deep gratitude for saving his life. To say thank you seems to be something very ordinary. Every day we probably say thank you many times. But how often does this thank you really come from the bottom of our heart? Or how often is it just uh, a word? that slips over our lips almost automatically. So gratitude is a quality of the heart and mind. Gratitude is a virtue that has in, in unimaginable depths. It's a spiritual force that brightens our existence and also leads to inner harmony. Gratitude can also bring an incredible amount of joy into our life. Gratitude makes one happy. So in this talk I want to explore the depths of gratitude and show how easy it actually is to be truly grateful. I want to start with the Buddha. He too talked about gratitude and praised it time and again. There are a number of suttas, discourses, in which he mentioned the benefits and blessings of gratitude. Gratitude is a quality the heart and mind that beautifies the heart and mind. But gratitude is not so much, is not so well known as our other uh, qualities. And the reason 
why gratitude is not so much known is, as I suspect, because we do not find it in one of the many lists. You know, we have the paramis, the ten paramis, perfections, or we have the five uh, spiritual faculties, or we have the seven bojangas, factors of awakening. But gratitude doesn't show up in these lists. But here is the first example of what the Buddha said in regard to gratitude. The good person is grateful and thankful. For gratitude and thankfulness are extolled by the good. The Pali word for gratitude is katanyutta. Katanyutta. Those who are grateful, they remember words or deeds or situations or events that were either beneficial or inspiring or profitable or instructive. But what is profitable and instructive does not necessarily have to be pleasant or beautiful. Even unpleasant and painful experiences or encounters can be beneficial or instructive. Those who are grateful They recognize that actually everything is a gift and that we should not take anything for granted. Gratitude is the ability to keep marveling and acknowledging every moment as a gift, as a gift of the universe. And when gratitude goes beyond the everyday thank you phrase, then the Buddha said it is a trait that is rare to be found in the world. The Buddha had said that two kinds of people are rare to be found in the world. He said, one who takes the initiative in helping others and one who is grateful and thankful. And the Buddha went even further and said on another occasion that a grateful and thankful person is as rare as an awakened person, an arahant, or a person who teaches the Dhamma. So this shows how much esteem the Buddha had for this quality of gratitude. It shows what place he had given to gratitude. But of course, gratitude is also highly valued in other religions, in other spiritual traditions. For example, 
Meister Eckhart. He was a German mystic who lived in the 13th and 14th century. He had also recognized the importance of gratitude. And Meister Eckhart <coughs> had said, if the only prayer in your life would consist of thank you, that would be enough. <clears throat> As I said, first of all, we relate or connect gratitude to something which is good, beautiful, pleasant or helpful. You know, like the Japanese soldier whose life was saved by the Burmese family. Or the gratitude of parents for her healthy baby. Or to be grateful to the bus driver who waited as he were coming, uh, running around the corner. So to be grateful, to be thankful for something nice, pleasant, um, helpful, that's easy. In any case, it's easier than being thankful for something that is difficult, unpleasant, or even painful. But those who can even be grateful to their enemy or to a painful uh, challenge, these people show spiritual maturity. It's like in the case of this Tibetan monk whom Venerable Tenzin Palmo had met many years ago. So Venerable Tenzin Palmo um, related this incident. She said, Some time ago I met a monk who was imprisoned for 25 years. He had been tortured and treated very badly, and his body was quite a wreck. <coughs> wreck. <coughs> but his mind, when you looked into his eyes, you could not detect bitterness or hate. On the contrary, you saw the glow in his eyes. He looked as if he had just spent 25 years in retreat. Everything he spoke about was gratitude to the Chinese. They had really helped him to develop overwhelming love and compassion for those who did him harm. The monk said, without them, I would only have given platitudes. Those who are on a spiritual journey do not measure their experiences according to the criteria of good and pleasant or bad and unpleasant. Spiritual maturity is reflected in the understanding that the potential for inner growth can be found in every moment, can be found 
in every situation, whether it is pleasant or unpleasant. You know, I don't want to put myself into this category of these amazing people who show this extraordinary, extraordinary kind of um, gratitude, you know, even among the most cruel or harsh conditions. But I'm often asked how I feel uh, since the amputation of my lower leg six years ago. And, you know, in a strange way, the amputation has strengthened my sense of gratitude. And so this sense of gratitude has become much more present. It has become much more lively. You know, every morning when I get up, when I put on my prosthesis, I'm so grateful that I'm still alive. I'm so grateful that with this prosthesis I can walk around quite normally. I still can go uh, hiking in the mountains, no problem. <laughs> so with this, yeah, this, uh, this uh, quality of gratitude has really become much stronger. And so in a way, I'm grateful uh, for this amputation. So when we really acknowledge our gratitude, when we are thankful, that brings a lot of joy into our life. A grateful attitude brightens up our heart and mind. It also brings a lightness and a liveliness. Gratitude causes a lot of happiness. Francis Bacon was an English philosopher, statesman, scientist, lawyer, and author. He lived in the 16th, 17th century. And he had said, Not the lucky ones are grateful. It is those who are grateful who are happy. So, there we are. Those who want to go through life happier should be grateful. It's as easy as this. This is also expressed by this man who said, the expression of heartfelt gratitude is for me the surest way to joy and thus the key to happiness. And there is so much that I can be grateful for. Every day of my life, I come across something I can be grateful for. That's why I say thank you for everything I have, for everything I get. I am especially thankful for everything I am. Again and again, I am pleased to note that it is precisely the gratitude 
that attracts all the goodness. The more I am grateful for the good and the beautiful, the more I get the good and the beautiful. We can make gratitude our daily practice. You know, in the evening, for example, can we think of at least three things for which we are grateful, three things we uh, really appreciate. And you know, this is exactly what we do at the end of the last common sit. We take some moments to reflect on you know, the goodness, the beautiful states that have arisen. So to appreciate this, or we reflect what we can be grateful for. In our, in our day-to-day life, or even on retreat, we also could have a gratitude diary. And so, you know, when we write down for what we are grateful, then we can see over a certain period of time how our eyes open up to new things and how this generates gratitude. And as we write down the things for which we are grateful, then gradually or after some time we probably come to realize that it is more and more the simple and so-called everyday things that we are grateful for. And when we become more and more grateful for not just the simple and ordinary things in our life, then that also goes hand in hand that we do not take everything for granted. You know, for example, it's nice that the bus is coming when we are waiting at the bus stop. But, you know, we should not take it for granted. Or, it's nice that I wake up in the morning, but I should not take it for granted. Or, it's nice to have a cup of tea in a little cafe, but I should not take it for granted that I can have this cup of tea. So then, waiting at the bus stop when there is a bus, you know, I can be grateful that the bus has actually come, that I can take this bus. Or, upon waking up in the morning, I can uh, go into the day with uh, gratitude. Or when I drink the cup of tea, I can be grateful for the waitress who brings me the cup of tea to my table. Gratitude can also create a feeling of power, right? like a feeling of empowerment. The German doctor, 
Doris Wolf puts it like this. The feeling of gratitude is a real power feeling and it is so easy to create. No matter what mood you are in, if you raise your awareness of what you can or should be grateful for, then your mood will spontaneously lighten and improve. Gratitude is a declaration of love for life. Cultivating gratitude can be done on two levels. There is an inner level, you know, we can be grateful for whatever it is, and then we are really fully aware of it. Or, you know, we can formulate this gratitude as a thought, or we write it down into our gratitude diary. Or we can cultivate gratitude on an outer level, meaning uh, we can share our gratitude with others. You know, we can express it in words, in gestures, or in writing, a letter, or a message. <clears throat> Some examples for, you know, cultivating gratitude on the inner level. <clears throat> so, for example, I can be grateful for the nice weather. And, you know, I really acknowledge it with a conscious thought. Because the weather is nice, I can go for a walk with my dad, for example. Or I can be grateful for the lovely sight of the roses in the garden. Again, you know, uh, just having a conscious thought of gratitude for this lovely sight. Or I am grateful uh, to have a washing machine and that I do not need to wash my, ha my clothes by hand. So really, a conscious thought of gratitude when I put uh, the laundry into the washing machine. Some examples of cultivating gratitude on the outer level. Um, you know, uh, I can say a really heartfelt thank you to the a younger woman who offers me the seat in the bus and then thinking, do I look that old already? <laughs> <laughs> or wanting to cross the street on a zebra, you know, then the drive uh, car comes and stops and, you know, I can signal my thank you, my gratitude, that uh, he has stopped with a nod of my head or with a sign of my hand and with a smile 
on my face. Or I can express my gratitude by writing a letter to my former piano teacher, for example. So when we uh, cultivate gratitude, be it on the inner level or uh, the outer level, so on both levels we become aware that we are connected with others and that we depend on others, that we depend on others for our survival. You know, food and clothes, transportation, toothpaste, books, computers, a toilet brush, all these things are produced by other people. And on top of that, there are also the social and emotional aspects of our lives that are covered by other people or by other living beings, like pets. And so through the practice of gratitude, we can become not only more aware of our connection with others, but also on how we depend on them. So we should be aware that each person is constantly dependent on others from the first minute of life. Every object we use, every achievement of technology that makes our existence easier, our every medical help we claim, every thought that we acquire from a good book, all these are the products or result of other people. And so in this way, we should be aware that we are actually beneficiaries and that we owe so much to others. And in Buddhist terminology, this is nothing other than what is called dependent origination. We are dependent on others. We live in a network of dependent relationships. And even if we lived alone in the jungle, alone uh, on the top of a mountain, even if we lived alone in a cave and were completely self-sufficient, even then we would still depend on others. For example, you know, the wooden hut we live in, well, somebody had to, to build this wooden hut. Somebody had to carry up the wood, the nails, uh, to build this hut. Or if we cook our uh, spinach soup over uh, the fire, still the pot we use uh, was produced by somebody else. Or you know, the, um, the fish that we uh, catch in the river to eat, depending, dependent 
on the fish for our survival. Or, you know, if you uh, pick the berries in the forest, dependent on the berries for our survival. So if we keep our eyes open for this network, for this connectedness and this dependence, we can be grateful in every moment. We can be grateful for all beings. We can be grateful for everything. David Steindl Rust is a Christian monk and he is very much into an into interfaith dialogue. And he has described gratitude in regard to this connectedness very succinctly. He calls it heart speaks to heart. Gratitude also engenders a sense of fullness, a sense of sufficiency. It causes appreciation for everything we have, for whatever we encounter. And then we realize that we have so much. We realize we are actually so rich. People very often focus on what they are missing. I still need this to be happy, or I miss that so that I can keep up with others, or I should have another pair of shoes that I can, and so on. And so, with this perspective, this creates a sense of lack, of never having enough. And when we are overcome with this feeling of lacking, not having enough, this is a truly miserable feeling. It's not a very nice uh, state. You know, I call this the never enough syndrome that many people suffer from. And this never, never enough syndrome, this is exactly what the Buddha meant by tanha, craving. It's this incessant thirst that can never be quenched. Or it is this attempt to quench one's thirst by drinking salt water. So the more you drink, the thirstier you get. The more we want or need, the more we move away from the goal of being happy. A well-known discourse of the Buddha is the so-called Mangala Sutta. It is well-known in Buddhist Asian countries and it's very often recited. The Mangala Sutta is the discourse on blessings. 
The following circumstances have led the Buddha to give these explanations on happiness. One night, late at night, a deva, a celestial being, lit up the whole Cheta grove where the Buddha was staying. The deva greeted the Buddha and then brought forth this request, saying, Many devas and men longing for happiness have pondered on the question of blessings. Pray, tell me what the highest blessings are. And so then the Buddha <clears throat> named many different things that lead to a happy life here and now. Altogether he named 38 different things. And it was, he gave the teaching in verses and he concluded each verse with the words and this is the highest blessing. So among these 38 different things there are for example to avoid dealing with fools or not to associate with bad people, to have contact with wise people, to associate with the wise, or to support one's parents, or to look after one's family, or to assist relatives and friends, or to pursue appropriate work, or to engage in a peaceful occupation or to be modest and polite or um, generously giving or diligence or to listen uh, to the Dhamma and discuss the Dhamma or insight into the noble truths or to experience Nibbana, meaning to realize complete liberation. And so one of these 38 qualities the Buddha mentioned is gratitude, to be grateful, saying this is the highest blessing. So gratitude is a real blessing. And then the Buddha ended this discourse with these words. Those who have fulfilled the conditions for such blessings are victorious everywhere and attain happiness everywhere. To them, these are the highest blessings. Another aspect that the Buddha mentioned in terms of gratitude is gratitude for one's parents as it's one of the 38 blessings. So to have gratitude for one's parents um, in the West this topic can be quite a hot topic. 
how many times have I heard from meditators about the difficult relationship they have with their parents. But now in this talk I don't want to go further into this topic. I rather want to point out what the Buddha had said. Um, in Asian countries, in Asian Buddhist countries, gratitude for one's parents is still a natural attitude. It's still uh, considered to be a virtue to have gratitude towards one's parents. In Asian Buddhist countries, like for example in Burma, it's only natural that the children take care of their aging parents. It's only natural that the parents live with uh, be it a daughter or a son. And it's all natural that a daughter or a son takes care of the frail or sick uh, parents. Because in Burma, still nowadays, there are only very few old folks' home. They simply don't have um, these institutions as we have them in Western countries. As I said, here in the West, there is a bit of different attitude in regard to elderly people. Old folks' home, nursing homes, take over the function that used to be covered by the children. The Buddha had said that there are two persons that cannot easily be repaid namely one's mother and one's father. And the Buddha used the following analogy to illustrate his statement. Even if one should carry about one's mother on one shoulder and one's father on the other and live for a hundred years, and if one should attend to them by anointing them with balms, by massaging, bathing, and rubbing their limbs, and they even void their urine and excrement there, one still would not have done enough for one's parents, nor would one have repaid them. Even if one were to establish one's parents, as the supreme lord and ruler over this great earth abounding in the seven treasures, one still would not have done enough for one's parents, nor would one have repaid them. For what reason? Parents are of great help to their children. They bring them up, feed them, and show them the world. But then the Buddha also showed how one can reward the good for the parents. So he said, But, because of practitioners, 
if, when, when one's parents lack faith, one encourages, settles and establishes them, establishes them in faith. If, when one's parents are immoral, one encourages, settles and establishes them in virtuous behavior. If, when one's parents are miserly, one encourages, settles and establishes them in generosity. If, when one's parents are unwise, one encourages, settles and establishes them in wisdom. In such a way, one has done enough for one's parents, repaid them and done more than enough for them. In the last four years, since I have started to take care of my father, when I'm not uh, teaching meditation retreats, I often hear the two different attitudes towards aging parents. You know, it depends whether I'm in the West or whether I'm in Asia, particularly in Burma. So when I, when I say in Burma that I care for my father who suffers from Alzheimer's dementia, people tell me how blessed I am that I can do that. They said, what a good opportunity I have to look after my dad. On the other hand, when I say in the West that I look after my a father who suffers from Alzheimer, usually the response is different. <coughs> Often my commitment to take care of my father is seen as a sacrifice that I'm obliged to do. And as a result, then the question comes up why I do not put my father into a nursing home. For me, gratitude is like a dewdrop that glitters like a diamond in the morning sun. You know, the sparkling dewdrop is clearly visible to everyone. It's not hidden. But we must be present and we must be open. Must be present to this little wonder at the side of the path. So likewise, with an openness of the heart, the mind, and with being present, we could notice all the little things we encounter, all the little things we see, and then be grateful for them instead of just letting them go unnoticed. And if we get better at noticing the little things and uh, by being grateful uh, for what we see, what we encounter, then we realize 
that we become more and more grateful for the small and seemingly unimportant things. And then we'll notice being grateful makes us happy. It brings joy. You know, great gratitude is a practice that can be practiced very well in our uh, day-to-day life. Well, we are actually invited to make it a practice. Everywhere and every time there is something we can be grateful for. You know, for example, the running water from the tap. Grateful that we even have hot water running from the tap. To be grateful for the bread on the table, or to be grateful for the central heating, or when it's hot, to be grateful for the air conditioner when we have one, or to be grateful for the friendly greeting of our neighbor, grateful for the sweater that that I put on in the morning, or to be grateful for the gentle hug I get from my friend or my partner, or to be grateful that we have electricity running 24 hours a day. I would like to end this talk with the advice given by an abbess. The abbess of that monastery gave the young woman this advice. If you don't have time to meditate, then the best alternative is to be thankful for everything. So let's sit quietly for a few moments. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.